Well, Jello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to the Jack Benny Show from uh, the 1951-52 season. This episode uh, features Jack talking a lot about um, uh, the Navy, and of course they're... The reason for this is they are uh, performing for a naval base. And Jack uh, was in the Navy uh, during World War I. And uh, he talks about it in uh, certainly his book, Sunday Nights at Seven. Uh, I believe, this is me going way back because I'm just trying to remember, but uh, I believe that one of the stories is that... Um, performing in the Navy uh, is one of the the very first places where he really had the idea that, oh, I can actually entertain people with my words. And so uh, that led him, of course, into vaudeville and into radio and everything beyond that. But because um, I believe the story goes something like the fact that they were doing... Um, some sort of entertainment act, and uh, Jack had a few lines, and the director of this series of skits or whatever that they were doing realized that Jack was getting good laughs, and so kept on increasing his part and increasing his part and increasing his part until Jack becomes the uh, at least a main section of this um, skits that they put on. And that really made Jack kind of realize, oh, this is something I can do. Anyway, um, besides the Navy uh, sections of this, Mel Blanc will come on and he'll perform uh, as two different characters. And Mel, uh, I, I have a decent amount of interviews with Mel. And... The problem with Mel Blanc interviews is that he's done so many different things that if the interviewer is a big fan of Mr. Spacely, then he will spend time talking about Mr. Spacely from the Jetsons, who, of course, Mel Blanc portrayed. Or if you're, they're a big fan of Fred Flintstone, then they'll uh, talk about the Flintstones and, of course, um, Mel Blanc playing the Barney Rubble character in throughout the the here the the Flintstones. Uh, certainly, if Jack's left to uh, Jack, if Mel's left to his own devices, he more or less will talk a lot about um, Bugs Bunny and all the different uh, characters he played for Warner Brothers. Um, it, there's not a lot of folks that ask him or spend a lot of time on his Jack Benny stuff, or he will often just jump through the Jack Benny things. Oh, I played the car, and then he'll do the car sound, and I played Polly, and he'll do Polly, and then he'll say that um, he, of course, played Professor LeBlanc and do a little snippet of that and maybe the Psy Psy routine, and then he'll go on and talk, spend the rest of the interview talking about um, all these other characters he's played in all these different cartoons. What I love about this interview is that, of course, it's done by Chuck Shaden, who I keep bringing you to Chuck Shaden's interviews. Uh, Chuck is, of course, radio-centric, and so you get, a, you get to hear more interesting dialogue between the two of them about 
Jack's um, Jack's show. So I think that's awesome. And it's a nice long interview. So I'm going to bring you a snippet of that. You know, I usually try and find five minutes. I haven't found one snippet I'm going to take yet, but I'll figure that out, bring that to you. And then, uh, so you hear this chunk, and then, of course, you'll hear the whole Benny show. But we're going to have a link on our website that will take you to the whole interview so that you can hear the entire interview that you're only going to hear one little piece of um, on our show. And uh, that's just thanks to Chuck Shaden. I mean... Chuck is doing an amazing thing. He's making all these interviews available. I mean, this this Mel Blanc one, I didn't even know he had a Mel Blanc interview or that it would be coming up, and then there it showed up. He's, about a year ago, he's, they started the website, the Speaking of Radio re- website, and the Speaking of Radio website just keeps slowly throwing more and more and more interviews of all these great old-time radio stars out there that you can listen to. And it would be an easy thing for someone like Chuck to kind of go, okay, I'm kind of retiring and I'll just keep all my tapes of all these interviews and, and, and not to think about how to make them available. But in this modern world of the Internet... Uh, to make them available so that we can all listen to them and, and not charge for any of them and have them just freely available. It's just a wonderful, beautiful thing. And and I'm so thankful for that, that we have that and that it can give us insights into all these wonderful people that made up radio and that he was able to talk with so many of them over the years um, I was just listening to him talking to Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan's son. Okay, Jim Jordan, of course, is Fibber on um, Fibber McGee and Molly. But he's talking to his son, and, and his son is saying how Chuck is celebrating 20 years in radio, and this is back in 1990. So fast forward to 2000, 2010, 2011. That means he's been kicking around radio for 40 years. What a wonderful thing. Um, Anyway, I hope you enjoy this snippet of Chuck Shaden and Mel Blanc doing an interview together. And I hope you listen to the whole thing uh, that we'll link to on Chuck's site. And uh, play around on Chuck's site and, and listen to some of the other great interviews over there. Amazing stuff. Uh, he just freed up a Gail Gordon one that I think you'll really enjoy as well. And of course, Gail Gordon uh, plays Mr. Scott on uh, the Fibber McGee and uh, on uh, the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. He also is on Fibber McGee and Molly playing uh, Mayor La Trivia. So it's fun to hear him in both those different roles and then in lots of other roles in all of our other series as well. Um, but that's just two people <laughs> that are over there. There's tons and tons of other uh, interviews over there. In fact, I just, um, he just, Chuck just released a Larry Stevens interview and I've been looking for a good Larry Stevens interview forever. I've like found dead links to, to interviews and things that I can't quite get. And I've never heard a Larry Stevens interview. So I'm really excited 
then I'm going to be able to bring a Larry Stevens interview. I just got to find out when to, to link that up and when to bring it to you. But for today, Mel Blank, and we'll see you folks later. Um, enjoy this episode. Folks, Mel, I want to ask you about the Maxwell. You yeah. create, created the Maxwell for Jack Benny. How did that come about? How did the car develop? I'm glad you asked me that because I would have told you anyway. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the sound effects man had a, a phonograph record that had the sound of a motor on it. Mm-hmm. And they would, uh, when it came time for him to start the Maxwell, why they would start the motor and uh, then to slow it down, they'd hold their finger on the record and it would slow down and finally stop. Mm-hmm. Well, one day I saw it came to that cue and they didn't have the thing, the electrical phonograph, uh, plugged into the electrical socket. So I jumped up to the microphone and I quick made like a like a Maxwell, slowing down and stopping, mm-hmm. like this. <laughs> well, Jack fell down and he said, you are now my Maxwell. <laughs> so... Uh, and that's the way it started. Yeah, that's the way it started. <laughs> I got a little clip of a uh, view as the Maxwell from a Benny program. This is from uh, December of 1954. Jack, of course, and uh, sidekick Rochester, and oh, the, yeah. the infamous Maxwell. Okay, start the car. Okay. <laughs> Try the motor again, will you? Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, the motor sounds as though it's going from bad to worse. Sounds like it's going from here to eternity. <laughs> Rochester, don't be funny. Try it once more. Okay. Motor's not even catching. Maybe the battery's dead. Can't be that, Mr. Benny. I put a new battery in yesterday. A new battery? How much did it cost? Nothing. I got it out of your flashlight. (laughs) Try it once more. There you are, Rochester. The motor's going. Back the car out of the garage. Well, that crowd gets out of the way. <laughs> All right, folks, break it up. Break it up. <laughs> beat it, beat it. Why do they always gather when we try to start the car? You can go, Rochester. They've gone now. And that's the great Maxwell. That's the car uh, created... Uh, 
the only Maxwell that could possibly never been translated to television, Mel. <laughs> they, they, did, they, they really couldn't do it on TV, could they? Uh, no, it would have to be off stage. Yeah, and it just didn't work as well. I mean, that car hiccuping and coughing and sputtering and smoking and choking and everything, it, was just, it just came to life. I guess when, when uh, Jack went to TV, they used a real Maxwell out there, and it, uh, it just wasn't as good. It just didn't, well, I, you didn't know, once it. in a while I do it off stage, mm -hmm. and uh, he, would, he would call out to Rochester to start the motor, <laughs> and I would do the, the sound off stage. And uh, finally, he, he got some things for me to do on stage on his television show. Well, you made a lot of on stage appearances with, uh, yeah. with, with Jack uh, on, that's right. on uh, TV. We're going to take a little break. We've got a little bit of business to do, and then we'll be uh, letting you talk to some of your fans in the Chicago right, area. 591-7878 if you'd like to talk to Mel Blank. I'm Chuck Shade, and this is Nostalgia Night on Radio Classics from WBBM News Radio 78. Lucky Strike presents the Jack Benny Program. But first, here's an important message from the National Tobacco Tax Research Council. Last fiscal year... Uncle Sam did pretty well in balancing the national budget. After paying all expenses, he had a neat $3.5 billion left over in the surplus kitty. You cigarette smokers helped to sweeten that kitty by contributing over $1.5 billion in federal cigarette taxes. Yes, every time you buy a pack of cigarettes, you give the federal government 8 cents. And most of you give 3 or 4 cents more to city and state governments. That adds up to better than a 50% tax. Remember, in buying cigarettes, over half your packs... Go for tax. And now, the Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Be happy, go lucky. Be happy, get better taste. Be happy, go lucky. Get better taste today. Friends, tear and compare. See for yourself that Luckies are made better to taste better. From a newly opened pack, take a cigarette made by any other manufacturer. Carefully tear a thin strip of paper straight down the seam from end to end and gently remove the tobacco. In tearing, be sure not to loosen or dig into the tobacco. Now do exactly the same with a lucky strike. Then compare. Some cigarettes are too loosely packed. Some even fall apart. But look at that lucky. See how it stays together, a perfect cylinder of fine, mild tobacco. Now what does this mean to you as a smoker? It means exactly this. Because your lucky is round and firm and fully packed, you avoid annoying loose ends that spoil the taste, hot spots that burn harsh and dry. Because your Lucky has long strands of fresh, clean, good-tasting tobacco, it burns evenly, smokes smooth and mild. Yes, tear and compare. Prove to yourself that Luckies are made better to taste better. Then make your next carton Lucky Strike. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Naval Training Center in San Diego, the Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, the Sportsman Quartet, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Center in San Diego, we bring you a man who was so proud of his career in the Navy, he had an anchor tattooed on the sleeve of his underwear, Jack Benny! <laughs> Hi, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. And Don, you can joke about my career in the Navy if you want to, but I was a great seaman. In fact, I was the only sailor aboard who could be depended upon to batten down the hutches. I remember Hold one... On, wait, wait a minute, Jack. Huh? You mean you battened down the hatches? No, down the hutches. Things were so quiet, our admiral was raising rabbits. <laughs> he had hundreds of them, <laughs> Uh, Jack, I-, I meant to ask you something. When you went into the service, how come you decided to join the Navy? Well, it was family tradition, Don. You see, my grandfather, Lieutenant Commander Hopalong Benny, was in the Navy. And, uh... Hopalong Benny? Yes, he was the only man to ride a torpedo side saddle. <laughs> Poor fella. He never should have dug his spurs into it. <laughs> he joined the Navy, and the world saw him. <laughs> anyway, Don... Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Oh, boy. Am I winded. Mary, what's the matter with you? Why are you so out of breath? Well, I just came over here from the Navy Exchange. The Navy Exchange? Well, that's just a short walk from here. I know, but it's a fast run with 150 sailors chasing (laughs) it. I mean, don't be silly, Mary. Sailors don't chase after girls. That's what it says right here. Sailors don't chase after girls. They don't, eh? No. Since when are large butterfly nets part of their equipment? Look, Mary, you got nothing to worry about. The boys here are a nice bunch of fellas. Oh, I know they are, Jack. And did you notice how young they all are? Yes, but then when I was in the Navy, I was young. So was the Navy. (laughs) All right, all right. Anyway, Mary, you should have been here a few minutes ago. I was telling Don about my career as a sailor during the First World War. Some career. What? You joined the Navy, went to sleep, fell out of your hammock, bumped your head, and when you came to, the war was over. (laughs) Oh, yeah? If all I did in the Navy was bump my head, why did they give me that ribbon? That was a Band-Aid, and you know it. Look, Mary, you know it and I know it, but you have to tell everybody? Mommy, why can't you just once... Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? I'm Chief Petty Officer Jones. Oh, how do you do? My job is to see that you're well taken care of during your visit here. Now, is there anything special you would like for dinner? Well, uh, uh, let me see. Uh... Uh, could you hurry it up, Mr. Benny? I've got to go around and ask all the sailors what they'd like to eat. <laughs> See, well, what do the boys stationed here usually have? Oh, some of them order crepe Suzettes. Uh huh. And others prefer filet mignon saute with a wine sauce. I see. And then there are those who are partial to baked pheasant under glass. Gee, is that the kind of food the enlisted men in the Navy get? No, but as long as we're on the air, let's do a little recruiting. Oh, yes. Well, yes. goodbye now. Goodbye. <laughs> You know, you know, Mary, this fella has the right idea. Well, Jack, I had lunch at the mess hall today, and the food is excellent. I know, I know. Oh, say, Jack, we're going back to Los Angeles tomorrow night, aren't we? 
Uh, no, no, Don, I've changed my mind. We'll be here on the base till Wednesday. Why? Because Tuesday is payday. <laughs> Well, look, what's the sailor's payday got to do with Jack? <laughs> He's got a jukebox and a keg of draft beer in the back of his car. <laughs> Mary. He flips the light place over and it says Benny's Canteen. Well, you're a fine one to talk. You're getting ten cents a dance over here. <laughs> so don't be so... Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, everybody. Hey, Dennis, you missed rehearsal today. Oh, I'm sorry, but I just got to San Diego a few minutes ago. Wait a minute. You just got to San Diego a few minutes ago? But I thought you left Los Angeles last Thursday. I did. Well, what took you so long? I ran into a lot of traffic in Salt Lake City. <laughs> Salt Lake City? Uh... Dennis, why in the world would you go from Los Angeles... Mary, Mary, take my advice. Don't ask her. <laughs> Just drop the subject. But, Jack, maybe he had very important business in Salt Lake City. Huh? Or maybe a relative was sick or something. Yeah, I never thought of that. Dennis, when you were coming down to San Diego, why did you come by way of Salt Lake City? I wanted to avoid the traffic lights in Laguna Beach. <laughs> You made me ask him. You made me ask him. Uh, Dennis, you better sing your song. I'll say you better. Avoid the traffic lights in Laguna Beach. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard.
was I hear a rhapsody sung by Dennis Day. And Dennis, I want to tell you that regardless of the silly things you do, I must say you have one of the finest voices in radio. Gee, I hope my mother heard you say that. Why? She thinks you're a louse. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, Mr. Benny, I don't care what my mother says. I like you. Well, thanks. And now, fellas... You've always been okay with me. Well, thanks, kid. Thanks. And now, fellas... You know, Mr. Benny, sometimes I wish you were my father. You do? So does my father. <laughs> Look, kid, I only try to tell you you had a nice voice. I don't want a whole routine out of you. You know, you can't say... All right, hey, fellas, you can stand up and cheer. This show will roll now, because Harris is there. <laughs> Say, Phil, you really got a reception on that entrance. Yeah, would you believe it, Jackson? The last time I made an entrance like that, the people just sat there and stared at me. Where was that? This morning when I got on the La Jolla bus. Well, I'll imagine getting on a bus and going into your act. Well, what's wrong with that? Last week you stood on the dock playing your fiddle when the Essex came in. Well, it was my patriotic duty, and the boys all cheered me. Well, they should. Who else could play anchors away and dive for pennies at the same time? <laughs> oh, Phil, stop exaggerating. He's not exaggerating. I saw you swimming around in the water. Then why didn't you speak to me? With those bifocals, I thought you were a halibut. <laughs> halibut, halibut. What's your language? Oh, be quiet. <laughs> You know, Phil, you'd be much better off if you didn't pay so much attention to me and devoted more time to the boys in your band. Are you going my band again? Certainly. We came down here to play the Naval Training Center. At least your boys could look decent. Now, wait a minute, Jackson. They can't afford to buy new clothes. Well, at least swab them down. Swab them down. <laughs> look at Remley sitting there. Hold it. Just hold it a minute, Jackson. Don't say nothing about Remley. Today of all days. Why not? Well, yesterday, Frankie's favorite uncle died. Oh, oh, that's too bad. Was it unexpected? No, the judge told him exactly when it was going to happen. <laughs> Look, Phil, I don't want to have any more nonsense. We have a very important sketch to do tonight, and I want to get started with it. Don, will you announce our play? Oh, yes, Jack, but before I do, I've got a little surprise for you. A surprise? Yeah, yeah. Last night I was in Mexico, and I heard four fellas singing over there. They had wonderful voices, and I took the liberty of bringing them over and inviting them to sing on the program. Gee, a Mexican quartet. That ought to be a novelty. Are these the boys here? Yes, yes. They call themselves the Sportsmano Quarteto. Oh, well, good, good. Let's hear it. Come on, boys. Far below the Mexican border, where the senoritas throw beneath the moon, I think there's a bold and dashing vaquero, and every night you'll hear him croon. I think he might go with Hacienda, there's a touch of Mexico, I think cactus lovelier than Ortiz. Blooming in the patio, I think. Oh, desert stars and 
this drum of guitars Make every evening seem so sweet I think in my Adobe Hacienda Life and love are more complete More complete You think so? See, I think in my Adobe Hacienda Everybody's having fun Why not? Tearing paper from the lobbies Proving it's the better one You bet But now we know how they're made That is so They're round and firm and fully packed That's right Lucky strike is better tasting You will like them, that's a fact You bet Tijuana is colorful city She is not very big or so pretty She's a place that you really should visit We know that you won't want to miss it From La Jolla to Cancun and Vista There's a lucky in everyone's vista And it pleases every missus and mister My uncle, my aunt and my sister LSM, 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 Take a pop on the lucky, you'll like it Be happy and go lucky strike Strike Lucky strike Commercial was wonderful, really glad. I'm glad you liked it, Jack. I certainly did. Then you're going to pay the boys. Why, certainly. I think. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, for all the boys stationed here at the San Diego Naval Training Center, we're going to... Uh... Now, there's the phone. Excuse me. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. This is Rochester. <laughs> Chester, what did you call me for? Well, I'm over here in your room at the El Cortez Hotel, and I think you're in trouble with the manager. Mr. Stillings, why? What happened? He got a little upset when he found out you rented your other twin bed. <laughs> oh. Then he got aggravated when he found out you were doing laundry in the bathtub. Gee. Then he got red in the face when he found out you were running highlight games in the hall. <laughs> God. And when he found out you opened a gee dunk bar in the kitchen, he went to pieces. Oh, that, that's awful. How are things in my living room? Not so good. One of your barbers just quit. Oh, well, have one of my writers take over his chair. Yes, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Now what? Don't hang up yet. Why? I just looked at your radar screen. What about it? Get your fiddle ready. There's another ship coming in. <laughs> Thanks, Rochester. Goodbye. Goodbye. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for all the boys stationed here at the San Diego Naval Training Center, we're going to do a sketch. Set the scene, Don. Okay, Jack. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on any radio program... We're going to present a biography based on Jack Benny's actual experiences in the Navy during World War I. Music. In the year 1917, I enlisted in the Navy. Before I left home, I spent the last few hours with my family and friends. Then I went next door to say goodbye to my sweetheart. 
This only took me ten seconds. I wasn't a sailor yet. When I arrived at the Great Lakes Naval Training Center, I was examined by one of the Navy doctors. Your name? Uh, Jack Benny. Birthplace? Waukegan, Illinois. Age? Sixteen. Sixteen? Yes, sir. But you've got gray hair. Oh, darn it, I put on the wrong one this morning. <laughs> I'll be a blonde tomorrow. Your height? Five foot ten. Your weight? One forty-five. Color of eyes? Oh, they're blue, aren't they? Bluer than a sailor on his first night in boot camp. <laughs> Now, Doctor, you've got my records here, so tell me, do I get in the Navy or don't I? Well, son, I'm sorry, but I have to report some bad news. For me? No, for the Navy. You're in. <laughs> and so I was in the Navy. I became a part of Uncle Sam's fighting forces. The next thing I did was to report to the supply depot to get my uniform. When it came my turn, the sailor in charge looked at me and said, Well, how did you come to join the Navy? What did you say? I said, how did you come to join the Navy? Well, I've, I've always been the adventurous type. I, I love to travel. I love travel, romance, foreign countries. And then I saw one of those signs saying, join the Navy and see the world. Isn't that a coincidence? That's the reason I joined the Navy 18 years ago. And have you visited any distant lands? Yes, twice I've been to Tijuana. <laughs> Well, lucky you. You know, here's your uniform. Hey, just a second. You don't know my measurements. I take size 34, please. Really? <laughs> yes, I have a 33 waist. Uh-huh. 29 pants leg. Uh-huh. And 32 and a half sleeve length uh, on the jacket. I'm glad you told me. <laughs> Would you like your uniform in any particular color? Well, yes. Would you happen to have something in blue? <laughs> what? Now take this and keep moving. Wait a minute. Where do I put on my uniform? Right here as you're walking along. As I'm walking along? What about my old clothes? It just drop them. We have chambermaids who come along and pick them up. Oh. Come on, men. Change into your uniforms, all of you. There, I've almost got mine on. You're good. Uh, would you mind buttoning me up? <laughs> that goes in front! <laughs> I'm sorry. They had given me a uniform and transferred me to the San Diego Naval Training Center. After putting in six long, hard weeks in boot camp, I was given my first leave. I was tired and run down and wanted a rest. So I went to Sherman's. <laughs> I went there with my friend, Curly Harris. Oh, bartender, bartender. Yeah? I'll have a lemonade. A lemonade? Yes. I'll have a tequila. Hey, Curly, that's a Mexican drink, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's your tequila. Thanks. Well, here's looking at you. Hey, 
are smooth all the way down. After two hours at Sherman's, I stepped over Curly and went back to the base. On my way back, I got lost. Realizing I needed help, I looked around till I finally found an ensign. I walked over to the ensign and said, Excuse me, sir, but how far is it to the San Diego Naval Training Center? I don't know. Well, am I I walking in the right direction? I don't know. Well, for heaven's sake, where is the Naval Training Center? I didn't know. You don't know anything. A fine sailor you are. I'm not a sailor. Then how come you're wearing that blue uniform? What uniform? I lost my clothes in the crap game and I'm cold. Since I couldn't find my way back, I decided to stay away and enjoy myself. But a week later, I was back at the base, and because of the things I had done, I found myself up before the Admiral, facing a court-martial. The Admiral looked at me sternly and said, Were you AWOL for a full week? Yes, sir. And didn't you get into a fight with two shore patrolmen? Yes, sir. And when they tried to take you to the brig, didn't you bang their heads together and knock them out? Yes, sir. Do you think that was nice? No, sir. Well, watch it next time. The Admiral let me go with no more punishment than a stern look. The next day I was walking down the street when all of a sudden a girl said to me, Oh, sailor. Yes? Did you drop this handkerchief? It worked. I now had a girlfriend. We went together steadily for six months. Then one night I said to her, Honey. Yes, Mac? Pucker up. I'm going to kiss you. Okay. There. Have you ever been kissed like that before? Yes, I have a mother. My romance with this beautiful girl was short-lived because two days later I completed my training and went aboard my ship. What a thrill as we prepared to sail. We all stood at attention as we cigaretted the admiral aboard. I know we should have piped him aboard, but this is a lucky strike program. Finally, we sailed. We were underway for just five minutes when suddenly I began to feel terrible. I rushed to the doctor and said, Doctor, doctor, I feel terrible. I'm sick. My head is going around. I'm dizzy. My stomach is upset. I feel awful. Well, congratulations. Congratulations? Why? You're the first sailor who ever got seasick on the Coronado Ferry. (laughs) That is my story. He gave me two APC pills. He told me to go to my hammock. I went to sleep, fell out, bumped my head, and when I came to, the war was over. Thus ended my naval career. Jack, we'll be back in just a moment, but first... 
See with your own eyes how Luckies are made better to taste better. From a newly opened pack, take a cigarette made by any other manufacturer. Carefully tear a thin strip of paper straight down the seam from end to end and gently remove the tobacco. In tearing, be sure not to loosen or dig into the tobacco. Now, do exactly the same with a Lucky Strike. Then compare. You'll see some cigarettes are so loosely packed they fall apart. Others have air spaces. Hot spots that burn harsh and dry. But you won't find that in a Lucky. Look at that perfect cylinder of fine, mild tobacco, so free of annoying loose ends that spoil the taste. Notice those long strands of fresh, clean, good-tasting tobacco so firmly packed to smoke smooth and even, giving you a milder, better-tasting cigarette. Yes, friends, tear and compare. Prove to yourself that Luckies are made better to taste better. Then make your next carton Lucky Strike. Be happy, go lucky, go lucky strike today. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Captain Frank Monroe, Jr., commanding officer of the Naval Training Center here in San Diego, and Lieutenant Commander Alex McLean, special services officer, for inviting us down here. And it's certainly been a pleasure being down here with all of you fellas. So long, everybody. If it's safety you want most, Coast Federal Savings. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music and first in television, presents Transcribe, the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. For your enjoyment, here is the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Titley, Robert North, Janine Bruce, Ann Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. <laughs> Phil and Alice have always been glad to extend the hospitality of their house for worthy causes. Tonight, they find their house being used for a purpose they could never have dreamed of. More about that later. First, a word from RCA Victor. The more you see of television sets, the more you'll want an RCA Victor super set. No other television compares with RCA Victor for quality and performance. Ask your RCA Victor dealer to show you the Rockingham, for example. The Rockingham is a magnificent 21-inch console, the most luxurious model in the super set line. It brings you television with picture power, clearer, stronger pictures. Yet you'll be surprised at the Rockingham's moderate cost. In fact, all RCA Victor prices are low. They start as low as $229.95. And they're complete prices, too, including federal excise tax, full-year warranty on your picture tube, and no extra charge for mahogany finishes. So buy a superset. Get the 21-inch Rockingham. Then ask about a factory service contract. When you buy RCA Victor television with RCA factory service, you get television's greatest combination. And now the stars of the RCA Victor program, Alice Faye and Phil Harris. This morning, Phil had a phone call from Grogan. He told Phil that it was important that he see it. 
Grogan didn't tell him why, but he said he'd be over as soon as he finished a business meeting. And now let us look in on Grogan's business meeting. All right, all right, all right, come to order. Come to order, gentlemen, please control yourself. Remember, it's a high-class business meeting. I want you gentlemen to conduct yourselves with dignity and decorum. Because if you don't, I shall be obliged to pistol whip you. <laughs> What's this meeting about, Grog? <laughs> I'm getting it, and I'm getting it, and I'm going to make a speech. Fellow three-time losers. <laughs> Before we get to the matter at hand, I want it clearly understood that this meeting is to be conducted in an orderly fashion, like any other board of directors meeting. I have furnished our recording secretary with a solid gold fountain pen with which to take down the minutes. All right, Mr. Secretary, start writing. I can't. Why not? Somebody stole the pen. <laughs> oh, fellas, cut it off. <laughs> That ain't cricket. Now, I'm going to give the guy who stole a pen a chance to admit it. Now, now who took it? I took it, Grove. Shame on you, shorty. Where's the pen? I put it in me pants pocket. Well, give it back. I can't. Why not? Somebody stole me pants. <laughs> Maybe we better drop the investigation. <laughs> Gentlemen, we are gathered here for a very auspicious occasion. Now, as you all know, today one of our illustrious comrades is getting out of the penitentiary. He is coming out at five o'clock this afternoon. How do you know he's coming out at five? Because that's the time I planned the jailbreak. <laughs> and so tonight, in honor of his liberation, we are throwing a big party for our esteemed associate, Charlie Cross, affectionately known to us as Red. Why do we have to throw a party for the bum? <laughs> because Red was innocent. The guy was framed by some, some no-good stool pigeons. And this party is to prove that we was only joking when we squealed on him. <laughs> Where can we hold a party? But well, the cops will be looking for it. Yeah, I thought of that. I thought of that. So we are going to have the party at the last place the cops will think of looking for an escaped convict. At the home of Phil Harris and Alice Faye. <laughs> well, it's sure nice of them to let us hold the party there. Oh, they don't know about it yet. <laughs> I'm going over and tell Harris now. Supposing he objects? Oh, he won't. Phil Harris is broad-minded, generous, liberal, and yellow. Now don't forget we're holding the party out at the Harris home at 8 o'clock tonight I want you all to come and bring your wives and girlfriends Both at the same time? <laughs> all right, all right, just bring your wife now, this is going to be a high-class party, so, so dress formal. Formal? What should my wife wear? Tuxedo, of course. <laughs> now, if you gentlemen will excuse me, I'll go over to see the Harris's 
and invite them to our party at their house. Phil, I wonder what Mr. Grogan is coming over to see us about. You know, it's bothering me. I don't think it's anything important. He probably wants you to pass some counterfeit money at the market for him. (laughs) Please. I wish Frankie had never introduced me to a person like Grogan. Now, don't pick on Frankie. He just has a big heart, and he makes friends with everybody. Remley's a good kid. Hey, I wonder if that's Grogan. Come in. Hiya, Curly. Hiya, Remley. I was just talking about you. I'll sue you. (laughs) How dare you say such nasty things about me? Well, wait a minute. What makes you think I said nasty things about you? I may have said nice things. What's there nice to say about me? <laughs> I see your point. Hey, Frankie, Mr. Grogan called and he's coming over to see us. Yeah, do you know what it's all about, Remley? Have you been keeping up your monthly blackmail payments? <laughs> I ain't paying him no blackmail. I'm talking Alice. <laughs> Why should I be paying Grogan blackmail? So he won't tell everybody that your real name is Fanny Finkelfinger. <laughs> Not, is it, Phil? Of course not. And I ought to know. Her real name is on our marriage certificate. Bertha Benchwarmer. <laughs> Fellas, why do you hate me? It doesn't make any difference what my name was. The only name I want is the name I acquired when I married you, honey. Mrs. Wonga Wagonwheel. <laughs> Pretty, ain't it? <laughs> hey, Remley, tell me something. How did you happen to get tied up with a hoodlum like Grogan? Well, I didn't know what he was when I met him. I didn't find out for a long time. It's like a lot of people you're close to. You don't know if they're crooked or not. For example, Curly, you're married to Alice, but what do you really know about her? <laughs> what do you mean? For all you know, she may be a successful crook. Don't be silly. If she were a successful crook, she'd have a lot of money stashed away someplace that... that... (laughs) Alice. See what I mean, Curly? You don't get the kind of loot she's got, honestly. (laughs) Say, Alice, did I see you coming out of Reno last month with a safe on your back? (laughs) Phil, Phil, you shouldn't kid like that. Somebody might hear you and take it seriously. You know I've never done a dishonest thing in my life I never stole anything I never cracked a safe And I never robbed anybody You're a pretty dull dame, ain't you? (laughs) Grogan! How did you get in here? Came in through the door? You couldn't have, the door was locked I know, I had to take it off the hinges (laughs) Well, look, as long as you're here What did you want to see me about? Oh, nothing important Just wanted to tell you that Me and my friends are having a party at your house tonight Now, wait a minute. What do you mean you're having a party at my house? Did you ask us if you could? All right, all right, I'll ask you. Can we have a party at your house tonight? Absolutely not. And that's final. You true? (laughs) Yeah. Then help me roll up the rug. They'll be dancing tonight. Grogan, you can't dictate to these people. They're not slaves. 
You can't tell them what Quiet, to... Remley, quiet. You go down to the wine cellar and bring up a couple of cases. You can't order me to... Wine cellar? <laughs> yes, master. Oh, you picked a good wine store. The last time I sent him down for a bottle of wine, he was gone a fortnight. <laughs> Three months. Look, Grogan, you're not having any party at my house. Now, don't be an antisocial schnook. <laughs> Me and my friends are going to have a party for Red Cross, and we're going to have a hand. But, Grogan, you... Red Cross? Well, why didn't you say it was for the Red Cross? Well, but this Red now, Cross... Now, now, we know the Red Cross is a wonderful organization, and we'll be glad to let you have our house for the party. Well, yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, having a party for the Red Cross, yeah. And look, look, I have an idea how we can raise a lot of money for the Red Cross. Well, that would be appreciated. <laughs> how are you going to do it? Well, we'll have some entertainment at the party. I'll sing. Would you? And I'll sing too, Grogan. Must you? <laughs> Look, I happen to have a good voice And I'm going to prove it to you right now They call you Lady Luck But there is room for doubt At times you have a very unladylike way of running out You're on a date with me The pickings have been lush And yet before this evening is over You might give me the brush You might forget your manners You might refuse to stay and so the best that I can do is pray. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Be a lady, luck be a lady. Luck let a gentleman see. Let a gentleman see. How nice a dame you can be. How nice you can be. I know the way you treated other guys you've been with. Luck be a lady tonight. Tonight be a lady, luck. Lady doesn't leave her escort. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. It isn't nice. It isn't nice. A lady doesn't wander all over the room and blow on some other guy's dice. So let's keep the party polite. Never get out of my sight. Stick with me, baby. I'm the fella you came in with. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady tonight. Whenever you're ready, we ought to go steady. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Stick with me, luck. Stick with me, lady luck. luck let a gentleman see how nice a dame you can be. I know the way you've treated other guys you've been with. Luck, be a lady with me. Lady doesn't leave her escort. It isn't fair. It isn't nice. A lady doesn't wander all over the room and blow on some other guy's dice. It isn't nice. So let's keep the party polite. 
never get out of my sight. Stick with me, baby, I'm the fella you came in with. Luck be a lady, luck be a lady, luck be a lady. Well, Grogan, uh, do you think your friends will like my singing? Well, uh, let me put it this way. If you've got a bulletproof vest, wear it. <laughs> Wait a minute, Mr. Grogan. Whom have you invited? Are they nice people? Are they the kind of people we want in our house? Miss Faye, I assure you, the people who are coming here tonight are wanted every place. <laughs> You can uh, expect us about 8 p.m. I'll see you later. Hey, wait a minute. I'll go with you, Grogan. I got to go home and get dressed. I'll see you at the party, Curly. Phil, are you ready? It's almost 8 o'clock. Our guests should be arriving. Yeah, I'm all dressed. You know something, honey? It makes a guy feel good to be doing a thing like this for the Red Cross. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if... Oh, must be some of our guests. Come on, Phil. Let's greet them. Oh, I hope the people Mr. Grogan invited are nice. Well, they gotta be nice. After all, they're coming over for a Red Cross benefit. <laughs> well, that's true, Phil. They must be fine people. Oh, good evening, gentlemen. Come right in. Hey, Shorty, get a load of the blonde tomatoes. <laughs> wow, that's for me. I seen her face. I'll toss you for it. Hold it. I'll toss you for it. I got something to say about this. Okay, we let you in on it. Odd man gets it. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Let's make it two out of three. Wait a minute. <laughs> She's my wife. Who you? I'm Phil Harris. Well, I ain't seen you around before. What mob you with? What's your racket? <laughs> I'm on the radio. Didn't you ever hear of me? You ever been on the police calls? No. Then we ain't never heard of you. <laughs> Look, you must have heard of me. I'm... I'm that must be some more guests. Yes. Uh, uh, gentlemen, will you please excuse us? Just just go inside and make yourselves at home. Don't worry about us. We'll find something to do. Yeah, we'll play a game. Come on, Shorty. Last one to the wall safe is the rotten egg. Phil, <laughs> what kind of people are those? Now, don't get excited, honey. They're just kidding around. Well, I hope the rest of the guests are more refined. Well, I'm sure they will be, honey. Well, Uh-oh, look. We better open the door. Right. Good evening. Hey, where's the bathroom? <laughs> Wash the fingerprint ink off me hands. <laughs> fingerprint ink. What? Well, at least this one's neat. <laughs> hey, won't uh, won't uh, you and your young lady step in? Okay. Well, don't stand there, stupid. Come on in. I'm coming. I'm coming. What do you want to hold a party in a dump like this for? Oh, I think it's a nice dump. Shut Louis. up. <laughs> I'll introduce myself. My name is Louis the Lip. <laughs> Well, how do you do? Uh, is this your wife? Yeah, no cracks. <laughs> Aren't you going to introduce her? What do you want to meet her for? But do we? Shut up! <laughs> she don't talk much, does she? Well, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Alice Faye, and Alice this is my... Alice Faye, the movie 
Star. Well, I'll be a trustee's uncle. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd meet Alice Fay. You've heard of me? Naturally. I've been a fan of yours for the last ten years. You have? Sure. They used to show all your moon pictures at Tehachapi. Tehachapi? <laughs> uh, uh, it's a movie theater, honey. Oh. Uh, Lowe's Tehachapi. <laughs> you won't believe this, but I saw every one of your films. I just loved you. You had such a wonderful shape. What happened? <laughs> well, it's not her fault. You see, she had a couple... Shut up! <laughs> Let's quit horsing around. Where's the food? Well, it's it on the dining room table, and I thought we'd wait till the rest of the guests arrive. Nuts for them, I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, come on, I see the stuff on the buffet table. <laughs> well, we'd better go along and watch them I don't trust Honey, them Honey, don't be so suspicious They're just uh, eccentric socialites Hey, Harris, this grub is pretty good <laughs> Who's this? Oh, oh, allow me to introduce you Lady Cynthia May I present Noel Coward? <laughs> she just arrived Oh, you're kidding. That's Louis Stahl. Hiya, Lola. Hey, look, Louie, it's Shorty. Hiya, fellas. Hiya, Louie. Hey, they really did this up good. That's nice silverware they got on the table. You think that's nice? Wait till I show you the stuff I put in my pocket. <laughs> Get a load of this book. Go ahead, feel the weight of it. Wait a minute. What's the idea of heisting our silverware? I got a right to take it. It says so on the back of this fork. All it says on the back of the fork is sterling silver. Oh, I thought it said stealing silver. <laughs> hey, Blondie, Brogan told us there's going to be entertainment here tonight. Who's entertaining? Well, uh, I am. Fine, I ain't seen a good strip teaser in years. <laughs> Look, I'm not a strip teaser. I'm a singer. And when I sing, I don't take anything off. The things they call entertainment today. <laughs> Man, nuts for the singing, let's eat. Boy, be polite. If the broad wants to sing, let us sing. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Blondie. <laughs> Thanks. You'll never know just how... I heard it not. Let's eat. <laughs> I like her voice. Louie. Louie, ask her if she'll sing our song. The one you always sing to me. All right, I'll ask her. Hey, Blondie. You know, don't roll them bloodshot eyes at me. <laughs> no. I don't know that one. Oh, I do. My picture's on the cover of the sheet music. <laughs> Sold over three... Uh-oh, that must be more guests. Come on, Alice. Oh, Phil, where do these people come from? I've never met such awful-looking characters. I'm almost afraid to open the door. Will you take it easy, honey? They can't get any worse. Oh, yes, they can. <laughs> Ooh, get the mug on this one. Alice, don't look. You'll only get sick to your... Curly, it's me. Oh, oh. <laughs> Frankie, what happened to your face? On the way over, I met with an accident. I was walking along when I saw a girl standing with her back to me. She had curly blonde hair, and she looked cute, so I walked up behind her, slipped my arm around her, and said, What's your name, honey? And what did she say? Gorgeous George, and that's the last thing I remember. <laughs> 
Well, look, Bremley, come on in and meet the rest of our guests. I'd rather not. I feel self-conscious with my face in this condition. Believe me, they won't notice. <laughs> we got a girl in there who looks worse than you, and she wasn't even in a fight. Now, come on. Will you see some of these characters? They are without oh, a... Oh, that must be the rest of the guests. Oh, hello, Mr. Grogan. I see you brought a friend with you, and I'd like Close to... Close the door, turn the lights out, and pull the shades down. <laughs> Wait a minute. What's all this for? Grogan, who is this Fink? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Red. This Fink is your host. Harris, I want you to meet the man that you are throwing the party for, Red Cross. Well, how do you do, Mr. Cross? <laughs> Red Cross! Oh, no! Pleased to meet you. Sorry I'm late, but I had a little trouble breaking out of jail. Oh, this is all this party needs is an escape con. Grogan, you get him out of here. Look, this is the last straw. Phil, throw this gangster out of our house. Who, me? <laughs> I don't know this chap very well. Never I'm not... mind, never mind. I'll do it myself. Now, you get out of here, Mr. Cross. Now, get, 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 get. Lady, you push me once more, and I'll break your husband right in half. <laughs> I ain't pushing you, she is. <laughs> Phil, I'm ashamed of you. You shouldn't let this vicious killer bully you. Yeah. Curly, are you going to let that gun he's carrying scare you? Just say the word, and I'll take it away from him. Really? Okay. Proceed. Commence. Well... Keep going, you haven't come to word yet <laughs> Look, Red, let's talk this thing over Now, I'm the kind of a guy Uh-oh, that's somebody at the back door I'll go get it I'll go too I'm coming with you oh. And remember Whoever it is, don't try to tip them off that I'm here or else Or else what? Or else I'll knock off one of your kids You wouldn't dare Besides, you don't know where my kids are And I don't care what you do to me I wouldn't tell you where they are Julius! Well, here comes my oldest boy now. <laughs> You're shot, Mr. Cross. Hiya, Mr. Harris. Here's the stuff you ordered for the party. Okay, punk, beat it. I'll take them groceries Get and your don't Harry paws off of that salami. <laughs> Why, you little run, I ought to hang one on you. You do it, I'll take you apart. Julius, you can't talk to that man like that. He's a... Quiet, and no cracks. Yes, sir. Uh, Curly, can I see you alone a minute? Uh, <laughs> excuse us, Red. You and Julius, uh, amuse yourselves. Maim each other or something. <laughs> hey, Curly. What? I got an idea. Come oh, here. don't give me a knife. Why don't you tell Julius who this guy is? Then he can go out and get the cops That's a great idea How am I going to tell him? The guy's standing right here He's going to know what I'm saying Not I'm like... if you tell Julius in another language You speak French? <laughs> Happens to be my business <laughs> Hey, watch me slip this past Red He won't have any idea what I'm talking about <clears throat> Monsieur Julius This man is a criminal <laughs> So you scramez-vous and call it the police. The kid ain't calling no cops. <laughs> Just my luck, he understands French. What are you trying to tell me, Mr. Harris? Uh, Julius, um, why don't you run along and uh, 
Look, kid, if you should happen to see a man in a blue uniform, <laughs> salute him. He may be a naval officer. <laughs> Look, kid, you ain't leaving here because oh, I'm going to... What was that shot? What's going on in here? Careful, Alice. Red almost shot me. How dare you take a shot at my husband? This time you've gone too far. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Stay away from me, lady. I will not take that. Oh! Oh! Curly, she knocked him out. Yeah. <laughs> Alice, my hero. Hey, Julius, call the cops. I better call an ambulance, too. This guy's skull is cracked in eight places. Yeah, it sure is. Alice, what did you hit him with? My money belt. and Phil will be back in just a moment. It's the most outstanding table radio in years, the Livingston, a brilliant new AM-FM receiver by RCA Victor, world leader in radio. The Livingston brings you radio programs the way you've always wanted them, including full, clear, virtually static-free FM. You get superb quality and fidelity with RCA Victor's golden throat tone system, playing through the Livingston's powerful 8-inch speaker. And you enjoy a depth and brilliance of tone unsurpassed in table radios. The RCA Victor Livingston is way ahead in performance and value. Mighty good-looking, too, with gold-colored trim on maroon plastic. Everything you've ever hoped for in a table model radio is yours with the Livingston. On Monday, why not visit your dealer and hear the Livingston for yourself? Made by RCA Victor, cornerstone of home entertainment for three generations. Folks, this is Phil again. A GI 2,000 miles from home needs help to fly to see his sick mother. A sailor's wife and children must have rent until his service allowance check clears. An old couple stand helplessly as muddy floodwaters wash away their home. Through your help, the Red Cross can answer their call. So give to the Red Cross this month generously. Thank you and good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> This program is produced and transcribed by Paul Phillips. Remember, whether you're buying a television set, a radio, a Victrola phonograph, or record, put your faith in the cornerstone of American home entertainment for three generations. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in television. Next, Theater Guild on the Air stars Red Harrison and Lily Palmer on NBC. Well, hello again, podcast listeners. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1941-1942 season. If you were listening to um, Tuesday's 1946-1947 episode that we played, you would have noticed that uh, they, it's the first episode where we've started mentioning um, Easter in the episode. And uh, this episode, again, is from that time of year, and so we get uh, Easter mentioned in the episode. Uh, it seems to me like today, you don't get many shows that I can think of mentioning Easter on television. 
a lot of still a lot of Christmas episodes, but not so much Easter, and so that's kind of interesting. But um, what it makes it doubly interesting, of course, for Jack to mention on his show is because Jack's Jewish, and of course Easter, um, other than Passover, uh, you know, doesn't um, mean much in the in the Jewish faith. And um, and yet they still did an Easter show every year, and most of his writers, I mean, a lot of the folks involved with Jack's show and and with a lot of the different radio shows um, were uh, Jewish and not of of the Christian faith, and uh, and yet so many shows um, respected uh, Easter and talked about it, and uh, so. I don't know. I mean, because certainly no one was forcing them to do that. It was it was their choice. Um, but I think it was just uh, they look at some of these holidays and say these are fun holidays to talk about, and so then they would talk about them. And um, I just think it's it's neat to. Of course, it's the main reason I created the podcast the way that I have, so that when we're going through a time of year when we had St. Patrick's Day, there was a bunch of St. Patrick's Day's episodes, and when we have Easter's a little trickier because, of course, Easter, uh, the Sunday of Easter, slides around during the years. So sometimes we get shows really early talking about Easter when it's not very close to our Easter at all, or sometimes really late. So um, that that's always interesting. Uh, and then, of course, we had all the great Christmas shows, and um, and and you get some unique holidays that are talked about that you don't expect. I mean, uh, whether it's President's Day or whether it's um, uh, whether it's any of the other holidays. But anyway, enjoy this episode, and uh, we'll be having a few episodes uh, featuring Easter as our subject matter um, coming up here on lots of different shows. So uh, enjoy, and we'll see you next time. The Jell-O program brought to you by Jell-O and Jell-O Pudding, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens a program with Lovely Little Lady. Do you know that old saying, friends, about seeing is believing? Well, even seeing a big, beautiful mold of Jell-O can't make you believe how wonderfully good it is. No, you have to taste it to know what a marvelous flavor Jell-O really has to offer. Your first shimmering spoonful of Jell-O will give you the whole story as nothing else can. You'll taste in it a gloriously rich flavor. Yes, a flavor that calls up the pleasant memory of sunny summer orchards and berry patches. A flavor that's locked right into Jell-O by Jell-O's exclusive process. This new process makes Jell-O better than ever. Gives you extra richness, extra pleasure. Prove it for yourself. Open a package of Jell-O. Notice that there's no telltale aroma. No sign of escaping fragrance and flavor. Then dissolve the tiny Jell-O particles. And notice how Jell-O's captive goodness comes gushing out in a flood of wonderful richness. Get Jell-O tomorrow and enjoy the added delight of swell, tempting flavor locked in by Jell-O's new process. That was Lovely Little Lady played by the orchestra.
Orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who was the sensation of the Easter parade this morning when his suspenders gave way at Sunset and La Brea, Jack Benny. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Jello again, this is Jack, your little Easter Benny talking. <laughs> and Don, um, how did you ever find out about that accident I had on Sunset Boulevard this morning? Uh, were you around there? No, but I heard all about it, Jack. It must have been very embarrassing all dressed up for the Easter parade and your suspenders break. Well, Don, I didn't mind so much when my pants fell down, but my laundry didn't come back, and I had on those bloomers I wore in Charlie's Ann. <laughs> my... <laughs> You know, I, I felt like a darn fool. You know? Yeah, I can imagine. You must have looked awful standing there in all that lace and those ruffles. No, no, Don. Uh, apparently, I was rather attractive. In fact, I heard a little boy ask his mother if I was Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> of course, I, I had to admit that I wasn't. <laughs> Incidentally, Don, uh, speaking of Easter, I'm surprised that you're not wearing a new suit today. Well, I ordered one, Jack, but... Well, you know how big I am. Yeah. Well, uh, to make a long story short, I was turned down by the War Production Board. Oh. Oh, well, I don't blame them, Don. I can see five sailors sleeping in hammocks made from your vest alone. <laughs> and incidentally, that shirt you're wearing is the only army tent I ever saw with a soft collar. <laughs> but don't worry about it, Don. If things... Well, for Pete's sake. Well, what's the matter, Jack? Get a load of Harris over there. You never know it was Easter Sunday, the way that guy's dressed. Hiya, Jackson. How's the old wreck today? Oh, fine. As a matter of fact, I just polished the Maxwell this morning. Bill means you. I know who he means. <laughs> Always has to come in with a wise crack. You said it. Hey, Jackson, did you hear about that big Turkish bath downtown that's going to close up? Close up? Why? They ain't got no rubber. Ha, 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 ha. That's a Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a very clever gag. And it's elastic. It can fit anywhere. <laughs> oh, shut up. Say, you, uh, you want to know a funny thing, Phil? Here I come to work today, all shined up with a haircut, shave, new suit and tie, and you come in wearing an, all, an old sport coat, baggy pants, and a polo shirt. Yeah, and you want to know another funny thing, Daddy? What? I still look, look better, better than, than you, you do. do. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Is that so? Well, I'd have a marvelous bill, too, if I wore padding in my shoulders like you. What are you talking about? I ain't got no padding in this coat. Then you must have a horse collar in there. It can't be physique. <laughs> in fact, you don't see me going in for those overstuffed models. I like a nice, simple, dignified cut, you know? Well, you've got one there, Jack. That suit looks swell on you. Really? Yeah, you're a regular Mo Brummel. <laughs> That's Bo Brummel. Bo. Mo, I know who made it. <laughs> All right. If you want to know something, Mo Brummel and Sons have a very exclusive tailoring establishment. They don't take everybody, sister. They don't, eh? No. And why have they got four guys out on the sidewalk with meat hooks? <laughs> <laughs> That's only for a gag. If they drag you in there, you don't have to buy. And they have marvelous values. Uh, feel the material, Don. How's that? Mmm, excellent. If I'm not too personal, Jack, uh, how much that suit cost you? Uh, the price, uh, $29.50. With two pair of pants. All right. And a waffle iron. 
All right, all right. And a set of golf clubs. One club, not a set. <laughs> a little mashy niblick, and she makes it a bag full. Anyway, Don, if you want to know where the place is, uh, come along with me tomorrow morning. I'm taking the suit back for alterations. Alterations? Why, that suit looks okay to me. No, no, Don. The sleeves are a little too long, and the handle keeps coming off the niblick. <laughs> they're, uh... They're good tailors, though. They'll fix it. <laughs> oh, Jack, could you tell Phil about the terrible accident you had this morning? What was terrible about it? I went walking down the street, my suspenders broke, my pants went to half mass, and I was standing there in a, in a pair of bloomers. Wow, and I had to miss it. Boy, I'd give ten bucks to see that. Ten bucks. Well, get your money out, Jasbo, and down they'll come. <laughs> All right, hand over the dough. Oh, Jack, for heaven's sake, pull up your suspenders. Well, then let them get some money out or keep still about it. <laughs> Showing off. Anyway, we were talking about my suit. Speaking of suits, Mr. Benny, how do you like the one oh. that I'm... Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello. Speaking of suits, Mr. Benny, how do you like the uh, one how do you, I'm... How do you feel, kid? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. Good. I had a little touch of dandruff, but I'm over it now. <laughs> Good, good. Speaking of suits, Mr. Benny. Yes? How do you like the one I'm wearing? Well, it's all right, Dennis, but I don't think it fits you as well as it should. Uh, uh, when did you buy it? I got it yesterday by accident. By accident? Yeah, I was looking in a store window downtown, and all of a sudden I got a hook. <laughs> oh, oh, you, you bought the suit at Brummel. Well, Dennis, when you get a new outfit, you know, you're not supposed to stuff a lot of things in your pocket. Look at the way your right pocket is bulging. That's the waffle iron. I can't get it out. <laughs> oh. Say, Dennis, did you get a mashy niblick like Jack did? No, I took the presto cooker instead. <laughs> you got a presto with a plain suit? Gal darn it, they told me you could only get a cooker with a tuxedo. Mm, believe me, I'm going back to Brummel's first thing in the morning and raise heck. <laughs> What are you laughing at? Pull up your bloomers. I can't see your shoes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, Phil, it's about time for a cooker. I mean, a band number, so, uh, so let's have it. You better let Dennis sing first. I can't find my baton. Oh, you don't need a baton. Why don't you just wave at the boys? Look, if I wave at those guys, they'll put on their hats and go home. <laughs> oh, well, then look around for your stick. All right, Dennis, unplug your waffle iron and come over here. You gotta sing. Okay. Imagine that kid walking in there accidentally and getting a presto cooker. Oh, well. I'd like to tell you, if I may, a simple story of undying love. How it will finish, I can say. So let us all pretend we know the end. In an old cathedral garden, there's a rose that blooms so fair. 
there's someone in the garden Nursing it with tender care If there weren't any raindrops This is one thing that I know She has shed so many teardrops They could make this flower grow In an old cathedral garden Just before they said goodbye With a kiss she made this promise That the rose would never die And she'll keep a flower growing Knowing he'll come back someday In an old cathedral garden Yes, it ended just that way Oh, she kept a flower growing was in an old cathedral garden written by Lou Pollock and Herman Ruby and sung by Dennis Day. And Dennis, you sang that beautifully. Thanks, Mr. Benny. Of course, I got a little bit of a cold, you know. A cold? That's too bad. How'd you get it? Well, on April Fool's Day, I sneaked into my girl's apartment and hid in the electric refrigerator. Oh. I was going to say boo when she opened the door. <laughs> That's a cute gag. What happened? Well, she didn't come home that night and they had to rub snow on me for three days. <laughs> Oh, uh, oh, that's terrible. Get ready, Don. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what to do for your cold, Dennis. When you get home tonight, try some menthol on your chest. All right, Don. Menthol on your chest. Oh, Jack, please. <laughs> please, not this one. Don, I don't want any trouble. Menthol on your chest. But, Jack, I'm a college graduate. You can't do this to me. Don Menthol. Sorry, old boy, nothing doing. Hmm. Well, I'll be darned he walked out. I don't blame him. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Don won't be back on this program until he reads that commercial. That's a fine way to treat him. Listen, Jackson, Wilson is the only real friend you got on this show. What? What about you and Mary and Dennis? Well, you know, it's just a job with us. Hmm. Well, I'm... Certainly glad to know that. Me too. I never knew where I stood around here. <laughs> never mind. We'll discuss that later. And now, ladies and gentlemen, while Mr. Wilson is out in the hall sulking, I'd like to announce that for our feature attraction next week, we are going to... Hmm, I can't understand why my gang doesn't love me. I'm good-natured. I'm easy to get along with. I pay well. I beg your pardon? Well, I am easy to get along with. 
Our uh, feature attraction next week will be a... Excuse me. Come in. Yes? I got a special delivery here for Mary Livingston. <laughs> oh. Here I am. Give it to me. Nope. Got a sign for it, you know. Got a sign for it. <laughs> okay. Postal regulations. Don't blame me. <laughs> All, all right, she's, she's signing, she's signing I don't make the laws, you know <laughs> All right, here, here it's signed If I broke the laws for you, I'd have to break it for everybody else <laughs> I'm, I'm not asking you to break any laws but so long, postal regulation. <laughs> so long, so long. <laughs> hmm. Say, that, uh, that guy's a little old for a messenger boy. Spring doesn't mean anything to you either, bub. All right, Mary, who's the letter from? My mama. <laughs> oh, fine. What's old Roxy Hart got to say, anyway? <laughs> Listen to this. My darling daughter, Mary, just received your long letter with check and close. We'll read it as soon as I return from the bank. He's a mercenary old buzzard. Everyone is fine here, except that your Uncle Willie has started drinking again. He bought a new Easter suit yesterday, and he took a bottle opener instead of a presto cooker. Hmm. Even with the shortage of tires, we can't get him to go on the wagon. He's sure, too. He's got a nose like a taffy apple. Quiet. Your brother Hillard is in the army and writes that he will not be able to be a general for some time as they are short of uniforms. Some reason. You'll be happy to know that he won a medal shooting Japs. Let's see that. That's craps, shooting craps. <laughs> won the medal in a dice game. Go ahead. I cannot tell you where Hillard is stationed, as it is a military secret. However, this morning, I received a big box from him with a kangaroo in it. <laughs> He's probably in Iceland. I'm not giving away any information. No other news, except that last night, we all went to see Jack's latest picture, To Be or Not To Be. Well. Your stupid father thought it was wonderful. <laughs> I might have known your mother wouldn't like me. Uh, we also saw Cecil B. DeMille's new movie, The Wild Wind with a Reap Zeet. <laughs> That's Reap the Wild Wind. Boy, is she pressing. <laughs> Must close now, as your sister Babe wants to use the fountain pen to make up her eyebrows. <laughs> Mama. Gee, what a corny character. P.S. Always a P.S. If you read this letter to Jack, leave out the part where I ran down his picture. He's so hammy, he's liable to kill himself. <laughs> There's one woman that gets my goat. 
Mary, when you answer your mother, tell her if she didn't like me in my picture, I'll be glad to refund the 30 cents it cost her to see it. Oh, she probably sneaked in. She wouldn't pay to see you. Well, I'm going to send her the 30 cents anyway, just to embarrass her. I saw your picture last night, Mr. Benny, and I stayed for three shows. Well. We're sure good to get in that warm theater after that refrigerator. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something, Dennis. Anytime you want to... Well, so Mr. Wilson has returned. All right, Don, menthol on your chest. Oh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, the next time you... No, no, I will not be a big fat stooge. <laughs> well, he can stay out in the hall all night if he wants to. I can be just as stubborn as he can. Okay, Phil, let's have a band number. Sorry, Jackson, I ain't found my baton yet. Well, lead with your curling iron. I know it's standard equipment. <laughs> Come on, let's have a number. Don Wilson thinks he's going to get paid for tonight. He's crazy. <laughs> Parade played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. There you are. You see, Phil, you didn't need a baton at all. Your hands did the trick. Yeah, it was great. You know, Jackson, that's the way to lead a band. Certainly. Now I'm like Stokowski or Toscanini or Spumoni. <laughs> well, I knew if you talked long enough, you'd hit the jerk pot. Uh, Spumoni, uh, Spumoni, Phil, is uh, Italian ice cream. <laughs> well, thank heaven. I thought I said a naughty word. <laughs> no, no, you're in the clear. Unless, no, no, ice cream is ice cream no matter how you look at it. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, as I started to announce, next week for our feature attraction, we are going to present a new type of quiz program in which I will personally give away... $24 to each of five lucky people. In other words, I, Jack Benny, will give away a total of $120. This will be known as the Miracle Hour. No, no, no. It's a regular quiz show. You mean like Phil Baker's program, Take It or Leave It? Yes, except that instead of Take It or Leave It, my program will be called Try and Get It. 
<laughs> Remember the title, ladies and gentlemen. Try and get it. Say, Dennis, um, would you like to be a contestant next week and try for the $24? I'd like to, but if I win, you'll twist my wrist. <laughs> There'll be no violence. Anyway, folks, be sure and tune in next Sunday for our big quiz show. By the way, Jackson, did you hear Fred Allen on the Quiz Kids program? On the Quiz Kids? Yes, I heard him, and I'm glad you brought it up. Um, now, if you remember, Phil, Fred Allen was the quiz master. That is, he asked the question. But when I was on the Quiz Kids program, I sat right there with the kids and had to answer the questions. There's a, there's a difference. Wait a minute. What questions did you answer? Hmm. There's a big difference, sister. <laughs> Believe me. I said, what questions did you answer? There's a difference between asking the questions and sitting there racking your brains out trying to answer them, you know? Well, all right. What questions did you answer? Well, for one, the Battle of Bull Run was fought on August 30th, 1862. I had that date exactly right. Well, sure. You got a bullet in your leg to remember it by. <laughs> I wasn't even there. <laughs> anyway, the point is, I answered the questions, and Alan only had to ask him, proving he's afraid to show the world how stupid he is. You weren't afraid, by golly. <laughs> Darn right, up. Dennis. That Alan goes around posing that he's such a genius, but he's really a phony. I don't know about that, Jackson. He don't waste no time answering your program every week. Oh, yeah? He thinks up gags as fast as I do. Hmm, you don't know it, Phil, but you're on my side again. And I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. If he keeps running down my show week after week, I'm going to take a little trip to New York and knock his teeth out. Say, Mr. Benny, how many teeth has Fred Allen got? Thanks, kid. Um, Allen has one tooth, Dennis. And if he doesn't keep up his elk's dues, he'll be all gum. <laughs> He hasn't eaten anything with gristle in it for over 30 years. <laughs> the minute he walks into a restaurant, the waitress hollers, soup. <laughs> and here's another thing. Every time... Uh-oh, here's Don Wilson again. Oh, yes. All right, Don. Menthol on your... <laughs> hmm. There he goes again. Can you imagine such a stubborn guy? Well, at least he's got pride. Mary, I wrote that commercial, and I insist that he read it. I'm running this show, and until we find... I'll take it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. Hello, Rochester, what do you want? I'm quitting, boss, effective ass off immediately. <laughs> what do you mean you're quitting? What's the trouble? It's that crazy boarder of yours, Mr. Billingsley. He's been chasing me around the house all day with a bow and arrow. What? And he keeps putting apples on my head. He thinks he's William Tell. William Tell? From the overture of the same name. <laughs> oh. Well, now, listen, Rochester, there's nothing to get excited about. Just humor him. Let him shoot an apple off your head. Are you... Are you kidding <laughs> But, Rochester, he won't hit your head. 
The idea is to put a hole through the apple. Uh-huh. You see, uh, you see, Mr. Billingsley thinks he's Swiss, like William Tell. And the Swiss are very good shots. Did you ever see any of that cheese they send over here? <laughs> Rochester. Rochester, you're not going to be shot full of holes. Mr. Billingsley is very good with a bow and arrow. Uh-huh. You know that bullseye's got painted on the garage door? Uh-huh. He can hit it four times out of five. Well, until it's five out of five, don't fire, because I ain't ready gribbly. <laughs> oh, what a scaredy cat. Rochester, when I get home, I'll let Mr. Billingsley do that trick with me and show you up. I'm going to prove you're a coward. Don't bother. I'll take an oath on it. <laughs> Rochester, don't get hysterical. Mr. Billingsley just likes to have fun. So the minute I get home, I'm going to stand against the wall, put an apple on my head, and let him shoot it off. You better have your toupee on stilts. <laughs> Never mind, I'm not afraid. Anyway, I'll be home in a few minutes. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Now what? Can I have the evening off? I want to go down to Central Avenue for the Easter Parade. You had this morning off for the Easter Parade. That was just a rehearsal. Tonight we're going to spread on down. <laughs> Okay, okay, so long. Hmm. Mr. Billingsley is such a playful fellow, and Rochester doesn't seem to understand him. Oh, well, maybe if I... He's here again. Yes, I'm here. All right, Don, the program is nearly over. Now, for the last time, menthol on your chest. Oh, very well. Ladies and gentlemen, the next time you go to your neighborhood grocer, be sure to buy a package of Jell-O. The ladies think it's delicious. Here it comes, folks. And the menthol say it's just wonderful. I hope you're satisfied. Well, I'll be... He'll pay for that door, or my name ain't Scarlett O'Hara. Play, Phil. For your next salad, friends, try this delightful Jell-O treat. It's a grand combination of sweet cucumber pickles and sunny lemon Jell-O. And it's so easy and simple to make. All you do is dissolve one package of lemon Jell-O in a pint of hot water... Chill until slightly thickened and add six small sweet cucumber pickles finely cut. Then mold and serve as a salad, or if you wish, as a swell spicy relish. Here's something mighty grand, a really enjoyable treat that will add lots of color and flavor to any meal you serve it with. So make up this tart, tempting blend of delicious sweet pickles and rich golden lemon jello. Get a package of lemon jello tomorrow, and when you do, be sure to get genuine jello. Because Jell-O's new process locks in the flavor, makes it extra good. A little late next week at Camp Han. Good night, folks.